This is the Scott Seidenberg Show on 98.7 ESPN. I am still so hyped from Game 7 last night. The Rangers advancing to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, defeating the Pittsburgh Penguins coming back from three games to one down. And and I don't know what it is about Rangers hockey. And I'm a fan of pretty much all New York sports. Like it's for me. And I'm one of those weird combinations where I'm Jets, Yankees, not Mets, Yankees, but I'm a Ranger fan, Knicks fan. And, and no one gets me like the Rangers do. Like I can watch and Maybe it's because um, maybe I'm spoiled as a Yankee fan. I've seen the Yankees win. Not not since 2009, but I've seen the Yankees win a bunch in my life. The Knicks, uh, we just forget about the Knicks. Uh, Football, I mean, I've just accepted the fate that I might never see the Jets win. But as a Rangers fan, I'm on the edge of my seat every time they have an opportunity. And sometimes it's false hope, right? Sometimes they pull me in with this false hope and then they let me down. I'm not going to say that that was the case at the start of this postseason because I honestly didn't know what to feel about this Rangers team going into this postseason. I loved what I saw during the regular season. I love the pieces that they have. I love the head coach. He's got all the experience in the world. But I didn't know going up against Pittsburgh, despite the fact that they were favored in every game of the series, the Rangers were, I didn't know what my expectation level was. And then the series kind of started to flow in the way that you saw it going down three, one. And maybe I lost my hope if I had any. And then the Rangers did what they always do. They pull you in and this time get the job done coming down from three, one, something that they've done before. And now going into the second round against the Carolina hurricanes, there is reason for optimism. And I don't think this is playing with house money. I think this is a team that is legit capable of making a Stanley Cup run. Because if you wanted to dissect this team, and not not just this team, but any team that you want to see make a deep playoff run in the NHL, you're looking for certain things. You're looking for the ingredients, right? Strong goaltending. Rangers have that. Yes, Igor struggled, especially in Pittsburgh in games three and game four. But in game seven, he seemed to be the Igor that we know and love, right? And he kept the Rangers in that game. They don't win without Shesterkin in net. You look at the leadership on this team. Guys like Kreider, Mika Zibanejad. And, and by the way, for Mika... I, I feel so good for Mika and for Panarin as well, who got the game winner in overtime, because both those guys received a lot of criticism throughout this playoff series. Mika Zibanejad was essentially a ghost for the first five games of this series. He doesn't score a goal until game six, but he had seven points combined in games six and seven. And for him now, he had his garden moment and uh, I'm, I'm just, I feel so good for him. A guy who's been on this team just as long right there with Chris Kreider, who's the longest tenured Ranger. And, and so looking at the leadership 
they got some leadership. They certainly have youth, right? This is the youngest team out there. Goaltending, youth, leadership, coaching. What more could you want from a Stanley Cup contender? Now, you want to say the play is not up to par right now, and they've gotten this series win despite not looking as great as they could. And I would agree with that, right? The defense is just, it's not there. They're giving up way too many chances. I mean, you look at the advanced analytics, the high danger scoring chances, it's all, it's just, it's bad. And it's no surprise why the Rangers went down three games to one. It's no surprise, frankly, why every game in this series was over the posted total when it when it, when it comes to total goals, right? And yes, some of it had to do, Lindgren was out, he came back. Uh, the Rangers are still without Barkley Goodrow, probably going to be without him for at least the first couple of games of this series. And there's a guy who brings a ton of Stanley Cup experience to this team, something that this team doesn't have. I mentioned everything that you want from this team, and that is the youth, the leadership, the coaching, the goaltending, and you do need the Stanley Cup experience. I think that it says a lot to have experience and and where the youth might be their biggest issue. And we've heard that a lot. People say this team is a year away or a year away from being a year away. And this is a learning experience. And it was great that they won this first round series, but if they lose, well, at least this team can learn from it. I actually think that maybe, and, and by the way, I would, I wouldn't disagree with any of that. I think, the, the youth is an absolute bright side. The future is incredibly bright for this Rangers team. If you were buying stock in, in any team right now, the New York Rangers would be that team, right? They're clearly uh, on the rise. But where I think the youth actually could come into their favor is sometimes, you know, they say ignorance is bliss. And sometimes that might be the case in a high pressure situation. If you've never been in a high pressure situation before, it might not get to you as much as it gets to somebody who does know what's involved in that, that does remember experiencing feelings of what that's like. And sure, while some people would argue, well, you want to have experience in a pressure situation so you know what it takes and you can get through it i might argue i'd rather go into it blind and just not change anything or not have any factor mess around with what i'm doing that as long as i stay even keel throughout every situation whether it's high pressure or low pressure i know what i'm getting I want to be on that level, consistent basis. And and that was the argument all the time that we used to have. And whether it was, you know, different athletes in different sports about, oh, well, Peyton Manning never shined in the high pressure moments. Uh, Tom Brady did. Uh, Derek Jeter was a guy who just stayed level throughout every situation. Look at his numbers, regular season, postseason. They're they're exactly the same. So the moment never got too big for him. It also never got too little for him. And I'd actually rather that than somebody who, and maybe Tom Brady's a bad example, but maybe Eli Manning's the better example, right? The guy who is, you know, on one level in the regular season and then takes it up a notch 
in those high pressure spots. So for the Rangers and their youth to be in a situation that most of these kids had not been in before, I actually think works out to their advantage. 800-919-3776. Scott Seidenberg here with you on 98.7 ESPN. Gerard Gallant after the game on his team coming back from the 3-1 hole. It sure hits this team. There's no doubt about that. They find a way. And again, I'm really proud of them. I knew tonight was going to be a battle. We talked about the seventh game being at home, but uh, we fell behind most of the game and we found a way to battle back. What about how this experience will help your team moving forward? We'll see. No, it's great. It's great experience for our young players. You know, we talk about it all the time. I mean, before the series started, I'm sure a lot of people said there's not much experience with this group. And you look at the other side, they get all that experience. And for me, it's about guys playing the right way. They got a lot of experience during the season. And, you know, it showed in that series. I thought the kids played pretty good hockey overall. And I thought our team played pretty strong. And that's the point I'm trying to make is that experience. Yeah, it's great. And you can say this team has more playoff experience than you or these players have more playoff experience than you. But like Coach said, you get through this regular season. You have the experience of playing all year. You have the experience of knowing what you can do. And to just be able to shut out any outside noise or not let the situation kind of dictate your play, that's where I think the youth advantage comes into play. As like I said, ignorance is bliss, not knowing the pressure of the moment could be the reason why they succeed in the pressure moments. But I love that this team is really learning on the fly here. I love that this team is growing. They are a stock to buy in on, but I'm not thinking this is house money and I'm not thinking this is okay. Let's wait and see what happens next year. Now. No, 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 no. This run has only just begun. Gerard Gallant on the Michael K show on pulling Igor twice games, three and games four in Pittsburgh. He's right. Sometimes pulling your goaltender does give a little bit of a wake up call to the team. And I think the Rangers might've gotten the message. Listen, they were down three to one in the game. They come back. They were down three goals in the game. They come back, they tie it four four, and then they ultimately lose uh, a game there. But um, they definitely responded. 800-919-3776. Scott Seidenberg here with you on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, we'll hear more from uh, Gallant coming up in uh, just a minute. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, about 15 minutes or so from now, we'll be joined by Dan Rosen from NHL.com. Talk about the uh, Rangers playoff run and, and just other thoughts about the Stanley Cup playoffs, even maybe getting a thought about the new Islanders head coach as well. Gene is calling from Manhattan. You're up first here on 98.7. What's going on, Gene? Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Thank you. What's up? Just want to make three quick points. Number one, um, I really dislike uh, this term meltdown that's being attached to Igor. I think we outplayed them for, you know, a couple games in a row, and I think we just stopped moving our feet. And I think any other goalie, any goalie at all, would have let up the amount that he did. And if not for Igor last night, I mean, game would have been totally different. Would have been a, you know, 8-3, 8-4 type of loss. So don't call it a meltdown. You know, Rangers were just physically and mentally a little bit tired, you know, heading into Pittsburgh for that game. So that's that. Uh, second thing, the Crosby and Sully, you know, Sullivan complaining about the uh, the helmet and the call. Mm-hmm. Not only did they go through it the year before, but, you know, the Rangers had to battle the refs, Toronto and Pittsburgh. I mean, the high stick call, the goalie interference. So 
for them to complain about that is just, you know, absolutely absurd. And lastly, you know, the Rangers, I know everybody's worried about Carolina being deep, but look, I think Pittsburgh actually posed a bigger threat with uh, Crosby and Malkin. You have two dominant lines and two dominant players. They're, they're the two best on the ice, you know, even better than Mika and Panarin. And when you play Carolina, you got a lot of ex-Rangers, but, you know, if, if guys like Tony D'Angelo and Brady Shea are, you know, striking fear in your heart, well, you're not looking at the series <laughs> the right way. So I think the Rangers have a great shot. You know, let's go Rangers and appreciate your uh, taking my call and love to hear what you think. Gene, thanks for calling. I, I, I think you're right. And it's not just Malkin and Crosby. It's Latang also. The three of them have been together for 16 years. You want to talk about playoff experience. They've been in 16 straight playoffs. The Penguins, I would argue, yes, I think you're right. They did pose a tougher threat than the Carolina Hurricanes. And I'm not disrespecting the Hurricanes. And I know the Rangers went one and three against them in the regular season. But this is a team that is also without their starting goaltender, just like the Penguins were. And I know Jari came back for the the final game. But Frederick Anderson is not around for Carolina. I don't know if we're going to see him. The goaltender that the Rangers will see is someone that, of course, they're very familiar with in Antiranta. And I think that he is beatable. And as far as your point on, on the complaining about the calls, look, that's the rules, man. And, and, and yes, does the officiating come back to, to, to hurt you at times? Absolutely. I mean, look at the Rangers disallowed goal. I thought that was ridiculous. I thought the Rangers won that game. And, and I don't know how you know Toronto looks at the replay over and over, and then they see, all right, well, it was goaltender interference, and so there's no goal. And, you know, okay, the player lost his helmet. There was no penalty called. You got to get off the ice. And if you don't get off the ice, you can get a penalty. So what do you want to happen? Would it, would, it, would it have been better if a penalty was called there? The Rangers score in the power play? Either way, they're complaining. So it's just anyone, everyone can find anything to complain about always. And as to your point about Shesterkin, look, yeah, I hate the term meltdown. And I hated when people said that he was shook or and he looked it. I agree. He did look it. But this is a world-class goaltender. This is the likely Vezina Trophy winner. And the reality of the situation that a lot of Rangers fans don't want to hear is that in those games, they were not good enough, especially defensively. And any other goaltender, maybe not Jake Ottinger, because you saw what he did in that series against the Flames, but I'm I'm kidding, but I'm half kidding. Um, No other goaltenders surviving that the pressure the turnovers the possession it was embarrassing watching those games and so i actually like the fact that gallant took him out of the games both times speaking of gerard gallant he was on the michael k show earlier uh here on monday and he talked about what goes through his mind during that overtime you don't it, it's the same for me. Honestly, I mean, you, you're just coaching the game. You know, after the game, you're disappointed or you're real excited like we were. But during the game, it, nothing changes for you. You do your job, you coach your game. And like I said, I, I just try and do my job and make sure the next great right guys are on the ice. And so so I'm not, uh, you know, nervous or nothing going on in overtime. It's the same game. I've done this for a number of years, and you just do your job. What about your message to the team when you were down 3-1? 
We talked about it, obviously, and the biggest thing we just said is no quit. There's no quit on it. Let's go to work, and there's no pressure anymore. If we lose another game, we know we're done. So let's go to work. Let's work hard and compete and see what happens. So we just took it one period at a time and found a way to win three games in a row. It's never easy when you're behind the eight ball like that, but, you know, we got some breaks. We worked hard, and I always said when you work hard, you make your own breaks, and that's what happened, in my opinion. You know, I talked about it earlier uh, that I was very happy for Panarin to get the goal. And I, and I was happy for Mika as well. The, the way that he played seven points between game six and seven, I was thrilled for the guy, but Panarin, especially who I thought was having a rough series uh, for him to get the game winner was just, just, just incredible for him. Uh, Gerard Gallant on Panarin's play and the game winner. Well, he, he got some points in the series and you know, what, what really happens is matchups sometimes. And I think they were trying to put different lines against the strong Panarin line and trying to match up there. But really in the playoffs, it's all about, you know, trying to find that open ice. And like I said, he wasn't, he wasn't like he was brutal in the series. I mean, I think he's had nine points or eight points, whatever it was. He's played, he got, he's got his points, but you know, the power play didn't get as much time in the, in the seven game series as, as you usually do in the regular season. He's a guy that uh, he, he thrives on open ice, and they didn't give him a whole lot of open ice. It's like when you watch certain players in certain teams, you try and take them away as much as they did. So we're still a young team, and we're trying to get better. And uh, you know, But sometimes you got to fight through it a little bit more. And you know, Between the third and overtime last night, I looked at the guys in the, in the, in the coaches' room, and I just said, I think Brad's going to do it tonight. I just think. You know, just the way, you know, things weren't going well for him in the power play. Things weren't going well for a team in the power play. And, of course, he gets that one shot, and that's, that's what those star players can do, and that's what he's done for. So, you know, it's a huge goal in the series, and he gets it. And the bread man did deliver. Uh, and, and about the team's youth, and I talked about it in the first segment, that I think that too much is being – too much is made sometimes of – lack of playoff experience. And, and I would agree that, you know, yes, it, it, it's sometimes ignorance is bliss and not knowing the full magnitude of a moment could actually benefit you. He was Gerard Gallant on the K show on if his team has enough playoff experience. I do. I, I can sit, you know, I, I wasn't worried about playoff experience when it started, like I talked about, now they got seven games against a very veteran team that we just beat out in Pittsburgh. So I think they're ready to go. The kids are really excited. They've got a taste of the playoffs, what it's really all about. And, uh, no, I'm excited with it. I mean, we're a young team. We know that. But young teams show energy and, and you got to bounce back. It's it's not easy. It's, a, it's a grind in the playoffs. And when you've got some fresh legs out there like our young kids, that's going to help us in the long run. And how about this upcoming series against the Hurricanes? Yeah, no, I understand that, and that's that's fine with me. I'm sure a lot of people are betting on Pittsburgh, too, but you know what? The bottom line is they're a good team. They earned that, that, that right there. They finished first in their division. They're a real good hockey team, and, you know, we battled with them for the last last month of the season. You know, there were certain games that, uh, you know, it was two points spread from first place. We had first place a few times, so I like the way we battled all year, you know, trying to get first place. So we're right there with them. We play well. Uh, there's no reason why we can't win this series. Well, let me tell you something about that. And those were cuts from Gerard Gallant on the Michael K show. Uh, you can hear the full interview, go to the ESPN New York app, uh, or just download the Michael K show podcast. You'll get that as well. It, when you look at the lines for this series and you see that the hurricanes are like minus, what was it? Minus minus one ninety, maybe let me double check those right now, but 
if you just took two teams that were on even footing and made a spread between them, you would kind of give home ice probably around 140 or so. And so to see, like, look at game one. Game one, the Hurricanes are minus 170, Rangers plus 145, whatever. But minus 170, that's a little bit more of an edge beyond home ice. And to see Carolina as a minus 190 in the series is still a little bit of an edge beyond home ice. But it's not that much. To see them at that price and not anything higher means that the Rangers, at least the market believes, that the Rangers have a a, 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 a puncher's chance that the market believes that they don't deserve to be heavily underdog, heavy underdogs against this Carolina team. Otherwise, Carolina would be minus 220. But only minus 190, and I say only, I mean, it's still a high number, but only minus 190 tells me that the market is kind of kind of high on this or a little higher on this Rangers team than you would expect just lining these two teams up or especially you know, seeing some of the Rangers' shortcomings in that series against the Penguins. You know, it's interesting. I I, I talked about it with Nelly a little bit. The Mets caught a break here with this, right, with this postponement because with them not playing this game, they can now call up a 27th man to their roster because they didn't have a pitcher for this game. It was supposed to be Tyler McGill's day. He uh, gets put on the IL and it was going to be, I guess, maybe Trevor Williams to get the start. And it's still very well could be. But by postponing the game, they now can add a 27th player to the roster because that's the Major League Baseball rules with a doubleheader. You can add an extra player and that extra arm is probably going to get the start here for the Mets in either game one or game two. They could change these things around. Uh, Nothing is set in stone as of yet. I read a really interesting article on, I believe it was uh, Yahoo and uh, John Harper, um, longtime baseball writer, had this article about the Mets. And I think it's so interesting because I've noticed it as well. So I, I do a lot of Major League Baseball handicapping, and it's my favorite sport. I love it so much. Um, and I've noticed that as you look at a lot of these advanced numbers, advanced that, you know, all these analytical numbers, whether it's a website, you want to go to Fangraphs, Baseball Savant, whatever, any website you want to go to, um, the StatCast data is just fascinating. And with the Mets, What's been really interesting is that they are, we all know they're in first place, right? They uh, right now are best record in the National League, 23 and 13. It's the, well, I guess it's the third best record in all of baseball because the Yankees right now are 25 and nine and the Astros are 23 and 12. So third best record in all of baseball. They have scored. 160 runs, which on the surface, you're like, that's not bad. And compared to a lot of other teams, it it isn't bad. Like the Phillies have scored 172. The Mets are right there behind them, 160. Okay. So they're scoring runs. They're pitching well. They're winning games. But their advanced numbers 
might tell a different story. It actually might lead to regression that because the Mets are not, they're not hitting the ball hard. They're getting, I don't want to say they're getting lucky, but they're getting hits that might not normally be hits. So this is where I'm going with this. And this article on Yahoo does a great job. John Harper with the article um, did a great job with this. The Mets have 54 infield singles this year. That is the most of any team in Major League Baseball. More than 19 more than the next highest team in Major League Baseball. So that is, you know, just in general, I mean, that is crazy. Their exit velocity is very low compared to other major league teams or just compared to the numbers that you would need in order to find success. So Sarah Langs from MLB.com is quoted in this article that at 95 plus miles per hour, you're going to hit 500 and slug in the 800s or higher. If you don't hit the ball hard at 94 miles per hour or lower, you're going to hit and slug in the 200s. This is a quote directly from Sarah Langs in the article uh, written by John Harper. Quote, so far, the Mets have been placing balls in very well, not finding gloves. And that is a skill in and of itself. The reason it's working for them is they're making a ton of contact. But the number one way to succeed at the plate is to hit the ball hard. That's why you start to worry. Is it sustainable? End quote. And I think that that is a tremendous point because if you are getting, and I I don't, again, I don't want to say lucky, but if you are consistently hitting the ball soft and you're still finding ways to get guys on base, well, there's got to be a little bit of luck involved in that. And when you just look at, the like, like the Yankees are no, you know, the Yankees are, uh, it, it's a different story. The Yankees numbers and their exit velos are unbelievable. Just looking at um, the batting leaders for exit velocity. I think the Yankees have maybe three of the top five guys in the league. Aaron Judge is number one in the league. John Carlos Stanton is number two in the league in exit velocity. <laughs> I mean, the highest on the Mets is Pete Alonzo, and he's 24th in Major League Baseball. And then there's no other Mets player until Francisco Lindor, 96th in baseball. This is on average. This is your average um, in terms of barrels, barrel percentage, exit velocity, all that fun stuff. So if the Mets don't start hitting the ball harder, which would lead to, you know, more home runs and extra base hits or just balls finding holes, can they sustain this winning way? I mean, don't you think it would put, it puts pressure on the pitching? Because I think that we're, we're seeing that, right? It is kind of putting pressure on the pitching staff. 
I mean, look at the other start for, for Max Scherzer the other day against Seattle. What do you go? Seven innings allowed just one run and they lose that game. The Mets two to one. And I joked around a little bit when that happened. I said, Hey, dude's getting the DeGrom treatment. Cause didn't that, wasn't that what Jacob DeGrom, there was a span like when Jacob DeGrom from 2018 to like 2020 is the best pitcher on the world, but he's got a losing record because he doesn't get the run support. You don't want that to start to happen. And for the Mets who have only hit 29 home runs on the year, look, compare that to the Yankees who have hit 50. Yeah. Putting the ball in play contact is fine. But if these numbers don't pick up, regression is a fear that and what that means is that they will eventually come back down and their production will decrease because that's what the numbers say should happen when you exceed what the numbers say um it's got to come back down because it's just like the old saying eventually you'll play to the back of your baseball card eventually the numbers will even out and they will tell the whole story of what's happening. You know, you could look at pitchers and teams that have had bad luck that have actually done worse than what their numbers say, where their, you know, their FIP is higher, their their expected batting average is higher than what they're doing. And then it goes the other way, where you're exceeding expectations. The fear right now is that the Mets maybe are fearing. The fear is that they are exceeding expectations. Hopefully that's not the case and that this is what this Mets team is going to be all season long. And that is a first place championship contending team. Joining me now is Will Hill, host of the New York City cast for the Vegas Stats and Information Network. It is a sports betting podcast dedicated to all of our New York teams. Well, thanks so much for joining me here on ESPN New York. Let's start with the New York Rangers. Down three games to one against the Penguins, despite the fact that they were favored in every game of the series. They respond in a big way. And of course, the game seven overtime winner last night. Emotions are riding high. The fan base is excited. But what are the realistic chances for this Rangers team to keep this run going? Well, it, it's hockey, so, it, you know, that of all the sports, anything can happen. I mean, it's sports, so anything can happen. In general, we saw that with the Mavs and the Suns last night, which I'm still kind of stunned uh, <laughs> about even you know, almost 24 hours later. I mean, to see to turn on the TV and see that score. Imagine, you know, you ha- you're, you're late catching up to that game. You turn it on, it's 67-27 or whatever it was. But, uh, look, the Rangers, anything you know can happen in, in hockey, especially when you have a good goalie, just get them hot and, you know, hope for the best. And you got to give this Ranger team a lot of credit. I mean, they're down three games to one, but they're down two nothing in game five after they give up seven goals in game three, seven goals in game four. They're down two nothing in game five. The series is over and Crosby gets hurt. And then boom, 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 goal after goal after goal, eventually win that game. And then if you're Pittsburgh, all right, we blew that game, but we're going home for game six. We're okay. We're still up three games to two. And then we go up two nothing in game six if you're Pittsburgh and you blow that game. And then even last night, I mean, they're up 2-1. They're up 3-2 with, what, five minutes to go when the Rangers get the equalizer. And I think, you know, anyone watching that game, you watch the Rangers tie it up and and the the Gardens going crazy. Rangers had all the momentum. It just felt like it was the Rangers series to steal. And, boy, they uh, they stole an incredible win, an incredible comeback, and just a a dramatic victory uh, for the Rangers going forward. 
Uh, look, Carolina's the favorite, the rightful favorite, but you know what? Crazier things have happened. Uh, the Rangers are going to have to clean up some things, I think, defensively. They obviously had a lot of issues against Pittsburgh. This is a much better team than Pittsburgh, but I wouldn't rule the uh, the Rangers out here in the second round. Would you take a flyer on them on some of these games in Carolina? Because if you look at the series price, they're plus 160 underdogs for the series. I think if you just play them on the games in Carolina, you're pretty much getting some value there, right? Yeah, and that 160 is interesting. That 160 is interesting. I'll be curious if that number moved. I saw Carolina got up to $2 in some places. So, yeah, I think the Rangers are live, like you said. I mean, look, it's – it's hockey, man. I mean, one game to the next, one series to the next. There's not always a rhyme or reason with hockey. So, you know, they, they could look like the inferior team and come out and steal game one, and they have all the momentum. They have home ice. So wouldn't be shocked here if the Rangers at least pushed Carolina to a six- or seven-game series. And uh, I, I kind of think they're playing with house money just the way the last season, the last series ended, you know, being down 2 nothing in all those games, being down three games to one. Uh, similar to 2014, remember they, they were down three games to one in Pittsburgh in the second round. They had to win game five in Pittsburgh and game seven in Pittsburgh. So sometimes you win a series like that, it gives you a little momentum to the next round. The total in the game one is five and a half. Are you surprised by that, considering every game of the Rangers-Penguins went over? Oh, boy, that was just an over-machined, wasn't it? Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, yeah, five and a half is a little low. Five and a half is a little low. Now, the game sevens did a little better with the unders, but, boy, if you're betting unders in hockey, unless it's the first period, you're uh, you're not making too much money. These overs have just been on fire. And it's funny, the game seven unders did well, and the first period unders have done well, but a lot of these games have gone over. So, yeah, that, that under uh, does look a little low. To me, it would be over or pass here. Well, the New York Mets uh, are the third favorite right now to win the World Series at 8-1. to one. Uh, This is a team that just dropped their first series of the year. Any negative feelings about the Mets after this weekend, or are you still considering them one of the top teams in the National League? Both. I still consider them one of the top teams. I think it would be great just to have a Mets-Dodgers NLCS. Obviously, it's a long way away. That would be unbelievable. But not just because they lost the series. Look, they're going to lose a series at some point. You're not going to win all these series. The fact that McGill got hurt is a concern. And you're already down to Grom, who's already throwing off flat ground. I think the hope is that he can ramp up here if the MRI is clean and get on the mound, I don't know, another four or five weeks. That would be unbelievable for the Mets. It would be good for the sport to get him healthy, to keep him healthy. But, look, McCann got hurt. McGill got hurt. May's on the 60-day DL. You're not at the point yet in the in the uh, baseball season where you can you know add a bat, add a reliever in terms of the trade deadline. So you can afford to lose McGill for a little while. Now we're going to see the MRI on him. Hopefully it's not too bad. But you can't just keep affording to lose pitcher after pitcher. You know no matter how deep you are, no matter how much big of a lead you have. That being said, you know look you got a six seven game lead on Atlanta. I think it's six in the loss, five in the loss on Philly. Couldn't really ask for a better start for the Mets. I mean, they're really clicking on all cylinders. They could use another bat. Lindor hasn't been great. They could use one more bat. They could use another reliever, but no team is perfect. Uh, you got to like what you feel, like what you see from this Mets team, really. Dating back to Thanksgiving weekend when they signed Scherzer, they signed, you know, Canna and Marte. It's kind of a new day with the Mets, with the new ownership, you know, more aggressive in terms of signing players. They cut Cano, who, you know, look, let's face it. Most teams, they all got that kind of money. They're just going to say, hey, we own, this, we own this money. Might as well pay, play him if we're going to pay him. Mets said, no, no, no. He's not worth it anymore. We're just going to cut him loose. We'll pay him his money, and we'll put somebody else in there. So I think the Mets have a little bit of a good vibe around him right now. Will Hill from the Vegas Stats and Information Network, host of the New York City Cast. Joining me, Scott Seidenberg here, 98.7. ESPN. Will, as far as the New York Yankees are concerned, how impressed have you been with their play so far? And is this the team to beat in the American League as their odds indicate? 
I think they'll run away with the East. I do think they'll win the division. Uh, if you want me to be negative and nitpick here, I think the bottom of the lineup with Agashioka, with Tyner Falefa, Hicks has no power. I think Hicks has one home or one double. So you're not getting any. He walks, he, get his, he gets his on base, but you're not getting a lot in terms of power with. Look, you can afford one or two weak bats. When you got three bats like that, that gets a little tricky. And the other concern, like I said, they're going to run away with the division, I would think. I don't think Tampa's as good. Toronto's had issues. Chapman's a concern. Any Yankee fan who watches them, when, when you see him coming to the mound, you know, he's throwing balls all over the place. He's sweating. You're sweating. Nobody trusts Chapman. He's had a bunch of disastrous outings in the playoffs. He's really he's he's lost a little off his fastball, but he's walking people. I think he's at six walks per nine innings. You just don't trust him. And I wonder if it'll get to a point now. He's not going to be the type of guy that says, all right, yeah, put me in the sixth or seventh inning. He's not like that. He's got a big ego, you know, borderline Hall of Fame closer. He's, he's been a great pitcher at times in his career. But the Yankees have better options in that bullpen. When you look at Holmes, when you look at Michael King, uh, you know, Loisega, I, I just I, I get I get nervous with Chapman in a big game. Uh, down the stretch here, you know, if, if they keep him in that closer spot, I worry as a Yankee fan that he's going to blow it at some point. Will, tell me about the uh, New York City cast. New York City cast, we do it four days a week. You go to vcin.com slash podcast or wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, great guests. We give out betting info. It's a lot of fun. We talk New York sports. Coming up this week, we got Mike Palmer of the Circa. Uh, Mike Westoff, former Jets special teams coach, is going to be joining us soon. So got to get you on there. Scotty, it's a, it's a good time. We give out good picks, good guests. If, if you like New York sports, if you like making money, it's uh, it's well worth a listen. Absolutely, and I will join you anytime. Will, appreciate the time and the conversation. Scott, appreciate it, my man. Thanks for having me. Great stuff from Will. Great information and uh, solid uh, podcast as well. Will Hill from the Vegas Stats and Information Network, host of the New York City Cast. 800-919-3776. You can always hit me up on Twitter at Scott's on Air. And I mentioned this earlier, but with the Mets rainout, uh, I really think they caught a break here because they were really undecided on who was going to pitch this game tonight against the Cardinals. It was probably going to be Trevor Williams as a spot start. It was basically going to be a bullpen day anyway. Today was supposed to be Tyler McGill's day in the rotation, but we all know he's on the IL now with the right biceps tendinitis. So this will be a doubleheader coming up tomorrow, a single admission doubleheader, which is kind of rare these days, right? We're so used to seeing these split admission doubleheaders, but it's a single admission, so it's a fun day out at the ballpark. It begins at uh, 3.10 p.m., and I don't know who's going to start the first game. Taiwan Walker's going to be able to start one of the games, whether it's the first game or the second game, but the real benefit, and this is what I was getting at before, the real benefit of having this game from tonight postponed and it actually being a double header tomorrow is that the Mets can call up a, an arm because they can have a 27th man now because of the double header. So they can add a pitcher to the uh, roster and they'll be able to have a spot start here for one of the two games coming up tomorrow. <laughs> NBA playoffs resume tomorrow uh, on ESPN. You have the Celtics and the Heat in the Eastern Conference semi, uh, not semifinals, the Eastern Conference finals between the Celtics and the Heat. The Boston is a favorite in this series, despite the Heat being the um, home top number one seed and 
having home court advantage. Miami, a point and a half favorite in this game one, which is interesting because it's the market telling us that the Celtics are actually the better team. Um, and, and real quick lesson, real quick lesson here on, on point spreads. Uh, home court probably worth a full three points right now in the NBA. There was some argument that maybe it's less than three points. Maybe it's only a point and a half. Maybe it's two points. But I think what we've seen so far in this playoffs, which is the home teams dominating, like really the home teams have dominated this NBA playoffs. Here's the numbers real quick. I'll get you the the, the numbers here. Um, Home teams overall. 43 and 26 this playoffs in the conference semifinals home teams were 19 and seven. So the home teams have dominated home court does mean probably three points here. So if you just take both of these teams, uh, if, if they were equal, then Miami would be a three point favorite. If Miami's the better team, then Miami would be more than a three-point favorite at home. But if Miami's the worst team, then it's less than three points, which is what you see here. So the Heat being minus a point and a half at home is the betting market telling us that the Celtics are the better team. Now, do I believe that? Maybe. I mean, I can't argue with the fact that they played great, especially at the end of January on best defensive team in the NBA, net rating, all that fun stuff. But Miami, 29 and 12 at home this year. The best record in the East, the number one seed. Jimmy Butler right now having a fan, just an unreal postseason, right? The dude's just going to do whatever he wants. And contributions from Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, Struess, I mean, they're without Kyle Lowry, and they're still winning these games. And that was an interesting series against the Sixers, but I think that they really stepped up when the moment uh, meant something. And, yes, there was a little bit of a James Harden disappearing act, although I would argue that that was just James Harden in his normal self, and he's just not the same player that he once was. And he's... He has a player options, $47 million. It's unbelievable. But I'm not going to talk about the Sixers right now. So I do think the Heat absolutely could win this series. I think it's going to be a great series. And to see both of these teams here does not surprise me. In the Western Conference, however, it absolutely does. The Dallas Mavericks, wow. What more can you say about this team that Starts the postseason without Luka Doncic. They lose a close game to Utah. And then they win the next two games without Luka. They lose a nail-biter by one point in game number five. Oh, no, excuse me. They lose uh, in game number uh, four, the nail-biter. And then they win games five and game six on the road to win the series. And then they lose the first two games in Phoenix. They hold serve on their home floor, and then they get absolutely embarrassed on the road in game number five. 
And at that point, I don't know if anybody gave this team a chance to, to, to win this series. You're down 3-2. Yeah, you're returning home, but you just got embarrassed the game before. You lost by 30. Well, it was their turn as they dominated the Suns in game six. And you're thinking, okay, for Phoenix, it was kind of the same thing as the Warriors, like the Warriors got embarrassed in their game in their game uh, five or whatever. And it was like, well, we're, or we're returning home. We can win the series at, at home. It's, it's fine. Don't have to, you know, whatever. We'll win it at home. But that's not what happened. And in game seven, the Mavericks didn't just beat the Phoenix Suns. They didn't just embarrass the Phoenix Suns. They humiliated the Phoenix Suns. Phoenix had 27 points in the entire first half. This was a a failure of epic proportions. Devin Booker, nowhere to be found. And Devin Booker now, you go back to last season as well. He's His performance in elimination games, not good. And there was a time that we were talking about Devin Booker as, you know, one of these top premier players, right? But for him to be a no-show in an elimination game, once again, I think combined these all of 11 from three-point range in the last two elimination games. It's it's an indictment on him, and I think, it, yes, it is a little bit of an indictment on Chris Paul. You know who thinks it's a serious indictment of Chris Paul? is Patrick Beverly, who was on Get Up this morning, and he does not think much of CP3. Obviously, whatever I say about Chris Paul is going to be discredited. But Certainly not. Not by me. Okay, well, That's I appreciate for sure. that. Thank you for your honesty. Right. Um, CP3, is he going to be a Hall of Famer? No question about it. Yeah. Right? No question about it. Do guys in the NBA go to sleep early the night before playing the Phoenix Suns? Hell no. No. You mean as a team or would you talk about Chris Paul individually? Chris Paul individually. Okay. No. I'm going to Stake 44 over there in Phoenix. I'm mm. going to have me a nice little wine, probably sweat it out, and uh, the pregame shoot around and get ready for Chris Paul. Steph Curry, I'm going, I'm going to bed at 8 o'clock. Mom, don't call me. My girl, don't call me. I don't, I'm, I'm locked in right now. It's, not, it's, it's, it's two different monsters. Okay, and uh, he wasn't done there. Here was Pat Bev uh, mocking Chris Paul. CP can't guard nobody, man. Everybody in the NBA know that. Guard, everybody can't know guard that. Everybody know that. Anybody. What we call them? Cone. You know what you do with cones? Like when in the summertime, you got a cone. You make a move. What does the cone do? Stay still. Exactly. Yeah. He's a cone. Stop playing, man. Everybody that right. knows that. Everyone knows that. It's just y'all don't want to accept it. Let me tell you something. These comments lit a fire under a lot of people here on Monday. And if some former players not happy about it. Um Matt Barnes on NBA Today says that, you know, these comments, not cool. 
As Chris knows, he didn't play well from games three to seven. He played terrible, and he'll tell you that. But what I want to touch on real quick, RJ, is the disrespect I saw from Pat Beverly earlier today. As reporters, you know, part of the media, we have a job to be critical, but I think there's a thin line between being critical and disrespecting. And I feel like what Pat Beverly did today to Chris Paul was completely disrespectful and out of the line. And Pat Beverly's talking like he's that guy. You're not that guy. Plain and simple. Chris Paul played terrible this year, and his numbers are still better than your career numbers have ever been. So I just think you have to understand, Chris is a 12-time All-Star. He played terrible. First time. All defense nine times, seven times first team all defense. He'll be a Hall of Famer. Pat Bev and I were similar type role players. They don't talk about us when we go. They're going to talk about CP3 when he's done. And I just think the disrespect we saw earlier today on the ESPN show need to be checked. Woo! This is a hot issue in the NBA right now. My thanks to Jordan Schultz, who joined me. Uh, he does a great job uh, covering the NBA and the NFL. And, and that football talk kind of got me thinking about the Jets and the Giants. And, you know, with, when the schedule came out, uh, of course, I did what everybody does, right? You go through and you play the Michael K show, win-loss, win-loss, win-win game. I, I did the opposite. I, I kind of look at the schedule and, and I think about, where there are situational spots that concern me, if that makes sense. Uh, one spot that concerns me is January 7th at the Dolphins. Yes, I know it's the last game of the season and it could be meaningless, but it could also be meaningful. I don't like that spot for the Jets. I don't like it when cold weather teams at the end of the season go to warm weather locations. And we've seen this in recent history, right? Like the Patriots always struggle at the in December or January when they go to Miami. And like, why? What, what is the reason? And I think that the, it, there's something to get it, leaving the cold, snowy, bad weather and going down to South Beach. And it's not just about, all right, we're going to go party in South Beach, but it's the idea that your brain kind of thinks that you're on vacation almost. It's it's a shock to your system. You know, like the, the seasonal depression is a real thing. And people get it all the time. When it's it's dark out, it gets dark earlier. It's and I know it's just crazy to talk about this now where, where the summer's about to begin and it's, you know, the sun's staying out longer. But, you know, in the winter, it gets it's very cold. It's icy. You know, what's what do we say all the time? It's brick outside. And people people not from here don't understand that. But, you know, that feeling. And imagine now you get off a plane and you're in South Florida and it's sunny. And it's warm and there's palm trees. The endorphins start to kick in. Like you, you, your, your brain just gets triggered and you just feel you get this, this feeling comes over you. And I think it's hard to then focus on football. And I, I just think that when you're done with your walkthrough and you go lay by the pool and it's just it, it, for these athletes, I don't know, but there's something to it. I always I, I always hate that spot for the road teams, especially the cold weather road teams, the Buffaloes, New England, either the Jets or the Giants, Chicago, Green Bay. And I think the Packers are down in Miami on, on Christmas, I think. That's another bad spot for them. 
any cold weather city team during the, the winter months going down to Florida, I think it's just a bad spot. But that game, who knows what it's going to mean at that point. Plus, you know, that stadium might as well just be MetLife South whenever the Jets play down there anyway, because you know how many Jets fans are always in the building down there in Miami Gardens. But the Jets schedule is interesting to start the year. They play the entire AFC North to start the season. The first four games are against the entire AFC North. Home to the Ravens, at the Browns, home to the Bengals, at the Steelers. (laughs) That is their schedule. They'll have back-to-back road games at Green Bay and then at Denver on October 16th and 23rd. They'll also have back-to-back road games at Minnesota and at Buffalo on December 4th and 11th. They do have winnable games on their schedule, games where they very well could be favored at home, home against the Lions, home against the Jaguars, home against the Bears. And so when you look at the Jets and their projected win total, it's it's no surprise that the Jets over five and a half wins is the most popular bet right now at a number of sports books. Like that's the biggest liability. More people are placing bets on that to happen. And I guarantee you that if it hasn't happened already at other places, soon you're going to see uh, the total at six wins, not five and a half. Because the five and a half is incredibly juiced right now. But you love the additions. The Jets got four players at least in the draft that will have immediate impacts on this team in Sauce Gardner, Wilson, Jermaine Johnson, and Brees Hall. And for a a quarterback in Zach Wilson, what more could you ask for than to have a dual-headed threat at running back between Brees Hall and Michael Carter and arguably the deepest wide receiving core that the, the Jets have had? When you factor in Wilson, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, Mims, Berrios, you, know, you bring in Uzama at tight end, and, and this Jets offense, all of a sudden, if they can protect, and that's the biggest question, right? If they can protect Zach Wilson, there's no reason why this team can't score and compete. Defensively, yeah, I love Sauce Gardner. And if Carl Lawson is ready for the start of the season, and from all indications, he's going to be ready for training camp. The defense has the potential to be good as well. There is a lot to like about this Jets team. And I think over five and a half is absolutely a bet to be made. As for the Giants, they will begin their season on the road against the Titans. Then they have three home games in a row. Panthers, Cowboys, and Bears. Now they'll head to London then. Think about this. Look at this schedule. They don't play a true road game. They start the season off at Tennessee and then home, 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 London, home on the road against the Jaguars, which is a winnable game at the Seahawks, 
may be their their toughest road test of the season, and that's not going to come until October 30th. I think the schedule makers did the Giants a huge favor. They don't have their road division games until the end of November. Now, yes, it's a difficult schedule there at the end of the season, right? Because in a you know short time, you go at the Cowboys, then you'll have Commanders, Eagles, at the Commanders, at the Vikings, home to the Colts, and then at the Eagles. Like, that's a tough stretch. But to start the season, it's, it's lining up for the Giants to get off to a decent start. Like I said, they don't have a true road game after week one. They don't have a true road game until October 23rd in Jacksonville, which, you know, should be winnable. And then going to Seattle, I guess that's their first road test. Home to the Panthers, home to the Cowboys, home to the Bears, London against the Packers, home to the Ravens. One, two, three. For five games, excuse me, can you win six of them? I mean, can you win three of them? Can you beat the Panthers, the Bears, and steal a win from somebody else? All right, you lose to the Packers in London, okay. But if they can get three out of five in that stretch, and then you go to Jacksonville, can you? am I greedy to ask for, I mean, three out of six, is, it's got to be a lock, right? Panthers, Cowboys, Bears at home. Packers in London. That's four games right there. Home to the Ravens at the Jaguars. It's one, two, three, four, five, six games. You have to be able to win three of those. You just, you just got to. And the Giants right now, I mean, let's see. Just checking because I believe some of the lines are already out for these games. And so thinking about where they line up, they'll be dogs, of course, on the road at Tennessee. They're favored already right now at home against the Panthers. They're going to be underdogs at home against Dallas. They're favored against the Bears. Dogs in London. Dogs at home to the Ravens. And what do you, what do you think? And they're a coin flip against Jacksonville. That you could don't you win the ball, you win both games that you're favored in, and then you win the coin flip game at Jacksonville. That's how you get your three wins out of those six. Then all you got to do for the rest of the season is steal some wins. I think this team is capable of sure. It's the season is could get tough, but you want to talk about talent, you want to talk about all the pieces being there. They're capable. The Jets win total was at five and a half. And I do think that that is a very, very good bet. I think the Jets do go over the five and a half. The Giants. Well. Last I saw, I think it was at seven. Seven right now. Can the Giants go over seven? That's the big question. Hmm, I think it's a good number. Eight wins for the Giants would be a really, I think, I think eight's a lot to ask for. But I think they can get there. 